Welcome to The Art of Mindset with your host, me, Brian LeSage. Before we begin this episode, I want to ask that if you haven't already, please share this podcast with at least two friends who you'd feel would gain something out of this. The word of mouth and the growth of a podcast is the most important aspect of a show. And running a podcast can be very daunting and exhausting. So I want to ask if you wouldn't mind, spread the good word, share the show, and those that share and link me into a post on LinkedIn or Instagram will receive a shout out on the next episode. So thank you for again, listening and stopping and participating in this experience. It's always a pleasure. Now let's get into the show. Today's guest is a very special one. Over the last two decades, he's worked for large and small companies alike, and even started and participated in many startups. Throughout his journey, he's helped manage over $100 billion in assets and guided a small company to 50 million plus in annual reoccurring revenue. However, as that all be said, he still felt as if he was not successful enough in the way he wanted. None of it felt right, as he says, it felt unfulfilled. And the feeling of being desperate for more purpose and a better direction is exactly what he did. He started his new life again. And right now, he's running a successful company with business outsourcing that helps businesses, entrepreneurs, and leaders develop tools and strategies to allow them to operate to the fullest of their capabilities. And along the way, one of his biggest takeaways is his how he had to shift his mind and not consume, but instead to give. Tom, it's really great to have you on the show. So excited to have you here and chat with you more. Oh, you're welcome, Brian. I've, I enjoy your content. I've been following you for a while, and I, I know that uh, you and I kind of have a lot of similarities in our mindset. So it's, it's kind of fun to be talking to someone of like, like-mindedness. Yeah, I, I got to agree with that. It's always, again, we're, I see your content. I've probably been following it for a year plus now. And it's always fun to kind of see where other people are at and their values in that mindset. Kind of just getting the ball rolling into the conversation of mindset. Uh, I always enjoy figuring out who somebody was early in their development, right? Who were we as a kid? So let's let's dive into it. What was Tom like on the playground? <laughs> on the playground, man, I was a, a competitive little tyke. <clears throat> I was the, the third child of, of my parents. I, I came eight years after my, my middle sister. So I was really the baby of the family. I had a sister who's about 11 years older and one is eight years older. And so I just grew up with that mentality of I, I want to be noticed. I, I, I have to be noticed. So what can I do to get noticed? And Early on, I, I, my, my dad was a huge sports guy. He was very acclaimed in uh, a lot of different things. He was actually in the Olympics uh, way back when. Uh, he played basketball at, at Rice University. So I, I had that athletic gene, I guess, uh, born into me. And on, on, the, on the playground, I just remember being so uber competitive and wanting to just excel at everything and everything. I, I, and I gravitated towards that early, and it just – it was, it was one of those things that just kind of helped define who I was early on. Uh, I think that, that brought some confidence uh, to myself early in life. And, uh, but I, 
And I remember anything and everything that was uh, a, a contest, an event, a sport, I would just gravitate towards and, and obviously try to be the best dad. And I think that just fueled my, my passion for, you know, just that, that exhilaration, that, that passion, that accomplishment, setting the goals, trying to accomplish the goals. And I just, I've always had that type of mentality. I don't, I don't recollect exactly how it started. I, it, my earliest recollections, I remember my mom would walk me across the street to our neighbor's house when I was probably three or four years old. And, you know, she would chit chat with the neighbor and I was, you know, I was a little kid. So I wanted to get involved in something and, and they had a pool table and I was too short to even use a pool cue. So I would, you know, I'd, I'd reach up over the table and I'd grab those balls and I'd fling them down and try to try to get them in the holes. And I just thought that was so exciting. And I just, I guess I've always just had that type of mentality. Yeah, I love that. I got to say, again, I'm a, a big competitor as well in my own in my own upbringing. And I, I think some of that's innate. And I'm curious, did you play any sports growing up? Oh, I did. I, I started, so my, my parents, my dad was with an oil company. And before I was born, they actually lived in Kuwait and they lived in Venezuela. And then when I was born, he was uh, kind of head of the Houston uh, area. And then he got moved up to Pennsylvania when I was in kindergarten. And so I didn't, I didn't start anything until he got settled in. And after a year in Pennsylvania, he got moved back to Houston when I was about, about six or seven. And as soon as that happened, he got me involved in uh, baseball first and then basketball. And I just, I, I stuck with those two for the, the remainder of my childhood. I, I played each of those during, you know, during the fall season and winter season, it was basketball. During the spring season, it was baseball. Then I had baseball summer leagues. This was really before the advent of all the travel teams and, and uh, select teams and you know, all that. I, I would have loved that, by the way, but I, it just was a little bit, I was a little bit uh, ahead of that, unfortunately. So it, it uh, yeah, I just... And I, I played all the way through college for basketball. But basketball became my love uh, probably when I was about 12 or 13 years old. I, I recognized that I was a little better at that than I was at baseball, even though baseball was my first love, uh, as you can see by the baseball cards on <laughs> and behind me. But, um, but so I just – I always kind of had that that mindset of, uh, you know, playing something. It was structure. It was – uh, it was a learning uh, environment where I could always learn more about me, more about other people, learn about how to push myself, how to how to how to drive myself. How, you know, all, all those intangibles that come with playing sports that that I thought were so important and so imperative in my upbringing. It just it just kind of solidified, you know, a lot of those those aspects into my my mental game and. You know, hopefully that is what has kind of transpired through my life to where I kind of always have that as a foundational uh, part of me. And it, I, I think it was, it was very crucial to my development and, and allowed me to kind of see things in a, in a different way. Yeah, I think sports teach us a lot. Just thinking about my own, again, playing sports, the organization, the competitive, the team aspect, the, you know, camaraderie that kind of builds around that. So I definitely can attest that sports can help that a lot. I'm curious as well, again, do you have, did you have a fear growing up? What was it if so? 
Oh, it was, yeah, I, I, was, I was so incredibly shy and introverted growing up. And sports was my outlet, but everywhere else, I was an outcast. I, I, was, I was smart in school, but I was quiet. And I was, I was so afraid to raise my hand and maybe have the wrong answer. I was afraid to engage socially. Uh, I, I mean, I made friends okay, but I, I, didn't, I didn't experiment with getting to know people on a deeper level. It was all very, very superficial. Uh, you know, most of my friends obviously were on guys from my sports teams. I, I didn't really branch out and get to know people who were, you know, in different activities. And, you know, that, that was, that was my biggest fear of just being, you know, called out as, you know, as a, as an outcast and, and someone who didn't fit in and someone who, who really didn't have it all going on, despite, you know, maybe my, my advancement in, in the athletic endeavors, you know, I was, I was so afraid of, you know, people seeing me and exposing me and thinking that, oh, well, he's, he doesn't really know what's going on. And that, I just remember that feeling of just being deathly afraid of, of being called out, of being someone who, oh, you're, you think you're smart, but you're not really smart. Oh, you think you're, you're cool, but you're not really cool. Just all those, all those things as a kid that I, I wanted so desperately to feel like I belonged. And yet I knew that by my introversion, by my inability to speak out, to find my voice early, that I was not heading in that direction, at least early on. Yeah, definitely that uh, introvert aspect of, again, feeling as if almost an imposter syndrome that they're going to be casted upon and somebody's going to figure out that I've been faking this whole thing this entire time. Uh, A lot of people I know can resonate with that. What age? I don't think we we all probably suffer in in our own ways still, but I can't see... I have an awareness now of this. So I assume that you overcame it. And at what age did you overcome it? So it, it took a while. I, I, I felt, I, I think there's, there's tears that I went through. So I, I gained a lot more confidence by the end of high school. Uh, you know, playing, I played varsity basketball for three years. Uh, I was, you know, not, not, not super great, but I was good enough to at least get recognized by some small colleges. So that, that boosted my confidence. And I, I felt I had a little swag going into college. Uh, and I went to a small college and, you know, the basketball team wasn't, wasn't highlighted very much at, at our school. It was a very academically oriented school. And I, I just, I remember feeling that, okay, I, I, I got this figured out a little bit, but I still, even, even during college and, and classes that were, that were relatively intimate, I, I still was deathly afraid of, of saying the wrong thing or, or answering incorrectly. And I just remember, I was like, at some point, I just got to get by this. I got to get past this. And I think it even, you know, fast forward into my early into my career, I still had that same mentality. I was just, I was just deathly shy of, of having, have, you know, being exposed in that imposter syndrome. But I think by my mid twenties is when I, I, had a, I had a few things going on in my life that, I think really just propelled me to finally just put those things to bed a little bit and to go, you know what, not everyone cares that I have the wrong answer if I have the wrong answer. And I shouldn't care about that myself. And I should just, you know, I just need to speak my mind. I need to really find my voice. And that's that's when I think I really found my voice probably in my mid-20s when 
I decided that, you know, I, I have something to say. I have something to share. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how I was going to do it. But I just knew that it was time to kind of move forward and, and put those demons just kind of to bed because I knew they were holding me back. And I knew that they were not allowing me to be all I wanted to be. And that's that's really the I, I, I think I wrote about this a few weeks ago when I was 26 years old. I just I just had this this moment in time where I was out on uh, I was out jogging and it was uh, I think it was New Year's Eve, actually. Um, and. I just remember thinking, okay, next year, this is going to be the year that I start redefining myself. And I just remember walking. It was a beautiful, clear night, you know, and in, in Houston and New Year's Eve, it's, it's sometimes not freezing. So I was in shorts and running and it was a, a beautiful night. And I just, I just had that epiphany almost that, okay, this is the time where I'm going to start shining. Yeah. I think a lot of people can really take a lot from that that story of just, again, seeing at this point this definitive time of saying, all right, I'm not going to let this define me anymore, and I'm going to pivot out of it. For those that don't even know, maybe you even majored in, for your undergrad, for your bachelor's, in communications and media, right? So that's public speaking. That's getting your voice out. How was that for you? <laughs> it was terrifying, and I thought that was going to be the cure-all. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to take these classes. And I started off as a, I was going to be a computer science major until I got a 38 on my first computer science test. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe <laughs> I shouldn't do this. And so then I, I waffled between business and communications. I had more communication hours. So I thought, oh, I'll do the major in communications and a minor in business. So I thought, okay, taking these communication classes, I, I, I did have, you know, some, some, some writing courses, some public speaking, some uh, media courses. And I actually did in, in the media course, I did pretty good. We were on camera. We were able to kind of go through scenes and, and do some, you know, mock, mock, uh, you know, shows that we produced. And I, I thought, okay, I, I got it now. This is, this is going to be my, uh, my clearance. And it just, I think it was just a, I think it was just a period where I, I, I believed I was through it, but in reality, there was just too much, I think underneath the surface that I hadn't been able to work through yet. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's funny when, when people bring that up, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I would have thought I would have gotten through it a little bit earlier, but it just didn't work out that way. Yeah, that's okay. Because we all, you know, we go in these own journeys and we say, and it probably did a test to it later down the road, right? It did say, I can find my voice. I have done this before. So I'm not as nervous as maybe if this is a first time exposure to get on camera, first time time to have my voice or whatever. So right. probably aided in it, but it definitely didn't break the chains, if you will. <laughs> exactly. So you next, you kind of, and I, looking at your LinkedIn profile, just knowing a little bit about you, right? You moved into finance, but then mm -hmm. you also went into a teacher role. Right. How does so, somebody do that? Yeah. So I, yeah, as, as I've said, I've, I've gone through different iterations in, in my life. So I, I got that finance job, uh, shortly, uh, after I graduated, I, actually stayed. I went to college in San Antonio and the job market was really bad when I got out and I ended up staying in San Antonio and I got a, I got a part-time, not part-time, I got a full-time job, uh, commission only selling uh, tickets for a football league that was trying to come up. And ironically, it's, it was the, um, the World League of American Football, which I know the USFL was, had already happened. And then I, I know the USFL is coming back. Uh, but this was the WLAF, or as we called it, uh, the We Laugh. And it was, 
it was an interesting experience. And I just like, I, I know I need to do something different. So after four or five months of struggling, trying to make cold calls and, and sell anything, I, I moved back to Houston. I had a buddy who worked for AIM Investments at the time. And he said, man, they're hiring like crazy. Uh, you should come interview. So I literally put a resume together, never put a resume together. I, I had one. Uh, I had one interview and they hired me. I was like, oh, well, I guess this is pretty easy. And they, they put me in, into the, uh, the trading area, but I was, I was kind of an assistant. So I got to all the, all the trades the traders would do. I had to, I mean, we, it was all manual. We had physical trading tickets, red for sells, green for buys, and we would have to fax everything. And it was, it was crazy. So after about three years of doing that, you know, I was 25-ish and I was thinking, okay, well, I'm, I'm moving up. I'd gotten a couple promotions, but is this, is this it? This can't be it. I mean, I'm, I'm doing the same damn thing every single day and this doesn't feel very fulfilling. I mean, I'm you know, I'm making some money, but it's not a lot of money and cert- surely there's something different. So at that time, that was kind of my first big inflection point in my life where I'm like, okay, I, I need to do something radical here. I need to do something different. Everyone was trying to talk me out of it. I was like, nope, I, I got to do this for myself. And I had another friend who said, hey, you've always talked about maybe coaching or teaching because you feel you're good with kids. And I said, yeah, I think I would like to try that. He said, well, I know there's a position open. This is around um, Christmas time. And he said, uh, they're, they're interviewing for a teacher. A teacher just left, I can't, maternity leave or she just quit. And it was at a small private school. And I'm like, why not? I'll, I'll give it a shot. So I, I remember going over there and interviewing with the vice principal, assistant principal. And she brought me to this classroom. And she, I, I walked in. And what, what I'd learned uh, getting up to that point was this was a school that catered to kids with learning challenges and, you know, some emotional challenges. And... I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And I walked in the room, it was a very small classroom, maybe maybe a dozen students. And they were standing up on the desks, running all around, it just crazy chaos. And she talked to me for a few minutes in the room, just saying, okay, these are the students. And she introduced me. And then she said, well, I'll let you figure out if you like this or not. And she turned around and shut the door. Oh, my. <laughs> so it was a, a true trial by fire. And I just... It was one of those things where I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to see what I can do here. And I, I started trying to bond with the students. And, you know, I was still young enough to where I felt I could kind of relate to what they were going through. I, you know, I was probably 10 years older than them at the time. And it was it was high school kids, ninth grade to 12th grade. And I just, you know, I, I fell in love with it pretty quick. And so that that's uh, that's one of my fun little uh diversions in life where I just kind of decided I'd do something just radically different to see what it was about. And it was, it was amazing the impact it had on me. It, uh, it truly was. Yeah. It probably taught you a number of things of just about how different people learn, how to communicate, how to connect beyond the outside presentation that somebody might have, you know, where they seem uh, maybe defiant or angry or uh, don't want to listen. Like what's going on? Let's get into this a little bit more in the weeds of it. So you probably got a lot of that from it. Oh, absolutely. And you know, the, the great thing is, is I look back here, you know, years later, you know, the, the impact teachers have on, on all of us is, is so profound. And 
you know, I think I took a lot of that for granted when I was growing up. And I, I look back and think about, about the teachers who had an impact on me and into the coaches who had an impact on me and just what that meant. And then, you know, fast forward, if I could have that same type of impact where I may be that person, someone looks back on and go, oh, that was my my favorite teacher. That's that's a teacher I really learned something from. And and the great thing is I did have a few students who reached out to me either during or after the fact that said, hey, you were you were a really good teacher. And I'd say I was, I was lucky because I didn't know how to do it. And I was just, I was just thrown, thrown into the fire, but it, it was something that, and I'm, I'm, I'm friends with a few on social media and I, I follow their lives and, you know, some have you know done extremely well. And it's just, it's, it's that, it's that almost, you know, ethereal place of, of knowing that you had or made a difference in someone's life, you know, at the, at the, trans transformative age that they were and and you know being able to to be there for those kids during that time was was pretty special for me yeah that's incredible so then you go through this time where you're a teacher for three years then you transition you say i'm going to go back to finance right is this where you join into invesco yes so so aim investments uh as when, when i left in 96 uh, they were in the process of, tr- of trying to grow and get bigger. And in those three years I was gone, they exploded. And they merged with Invesco, I think, in 97. Um, and so when I was uh, at my next iteration point, my next inflection point, I decided, well, teaching is great and I can't make a living or buy a house or do anything with the income here. So let me use this as a a stepping stone to my next my next adventure. So I decided I was going to go back and get an MBA. And during that process, I had to reach out to past employers, colleagues uh, for references. And I reached back out to my old boss, and I you know I had left on good terms. You know they were they were certainly sorry to see me leave in the first place. So when when they got that call, I was immediately transferred up a couple notches to a to a, a bigger wig and. And she said, you know, we have a tuition reimbursement now and we have all this other stuff going on. You may want to take a look if you would want to come back. We would love to have you. And I told myself I wasn't going to get sucked back in. I wasn't going to do it. But the, the offer was tempting and it was alluring and it was easy because I knew they already knew me. I didn't have to go through the process again. I didn't have to mm-hmm. I, I didn't even have to interview, really. I mean, they, they wanted me to come in and meet the new the new boss. But. I, I decided, you know, what, what the heck, I'll, I'll go back and get my MBA. And then as soon as I get my MBA, I'll be out of there. <laughs> and uh, that didn't quite happen that way. Yeah, so, you were you were there for about, what, 15 years? <laughs> yes. Oh, it, pain, <laughs> it pains me whenever I hear that. I just like, because I, 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 I came back, I got my MBA, and I got my MBA – uh, I graduated in May of 2001, and obviously, right after May 2001, the, the world kind of uh, went into a tailspin in many different ways. And there was the, mm-hmm. you know, dot com crash. Mm-hmm. There was uh, one of my my friends, my best friend's mom passed away unexpectedly, mm-hmm. and then, like the next week after that was 9/11, mm-hmm. and and I was uh, I was uh, dating my current wife at the time, and. We had just we had a, a big flood in Houston in June of 2001, oh, and so yeah. everything just kind of uh, this kind of the perfect storm almost hit mm-hmm. at that time. And so I think I gravitated back towards 
the safe decisions, mm-hmm. the conservative decisions and going, I don't want to rock the boat. I have a good job. Let's keep everything stable because I just went through some tumultuous times during the end of 2001 or middle of 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, and honestly, Brian, this is the first time I've actually looked back at that and with that kind of framework and gone, maybe that was really the impetus for me to go, okay, hold you know, maybe I shouldn't jump after I get my MBA. Maybe, maybe there's some opportunities here that will be easier and I don't have to take some risks that maybe I don't want to take. So looking back on it, I, I think maybe that, you know, psychologically, obviously that, that seems to fit the bill. Uh, but yeah, I, I spent the next 15 years and, and, and I went up in the ranks and I, I, I got into a couple different positions that, allowed me to meet a lot of wonderful people and uh, learn a lot of things about the industry and, you know, ended up on the, on the trading desk after a couple of attempts. I, I did not make it the first try first time I, I interviewed two or three times and, and didn't make it uh, much to my chagrin. And, uh, but then the second time about a year later, I was, I was able to get, get up there. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's where I felt most comfortable. I, I, I think that's where I, I flourished a little bit. And that I was always really good with numbers. Uh, I was very, you know, organized and, you know, able to think things through at least quickly and, and in high volatile markets. So I, I felt that that was a good place for me to be. And, you know, I was making better money and I'd gotten married by that point. Uh, had my first child, had my second child. So, you know, when, when those things start happening, I think your your mind shifts to go, okay, well, maybe, maybe it's not... You know, now's not the best mm-hmm. time to take, you know, inadvertent risks. So, but man, 15 years, I think about that and go, I could have been doing so many different things in, in, during that period, but you know, it all, it all is what it is. And I think I learned, uh, by, by just experiencing what I did during those, those, those periods. Yeah. And then really in actuality, you you were in the definition from society successful, right? Yeah. You have a marriage, you have a house, you have a good income, you're having yep. kids, how do you feel during all this? I was always, I always felt a little like I was floating. I wasn't, I wasn't grounded. I didn't have that sense of fulfillment that I always thought I would have if I had all those things you just listed. It just didn't seem like that was enough. It seemed like, okay, I have all the, all the boxes checked, but what's, what's missing? What's, what's, what am I not feeling filled with? And I just, I determined that I'm just, I'm, I'm not doing something I really enjoy. I am, you know, I'm working for a company that could easily dismiss me and I would have nothing to fall, fall back with. Uh, I, I don't have an exit plan. I don't have an exit strategy. I don't have that next thing I want to do. So, uh, you know, around 2012, when they, when they first told us that, uh, hey, we are thinking about moving the company to Atlanta. Uh, would you be interested in going? And it's we got, we were given two years to think about it. Uh, actually, a year to think about it and come up with a decision, and then they were going to use the next year to actually move every, everybody. So, and and my mom passed away in 2012, and so mm-hmm. those two intersections I think really were paramount to me going okay. I want to do something different. I, I need more out of this life. I, I don't want to be a, a, a lifer for this company. If, if I was lucky enough even to be a lifer, um, 
I want to do something different. And so that, that started, I think my, my thought process into, okay, what, if I could do anything, if I had a blank slate, a blank canvas, what would I want to do? So that's when I think the wheels really started turning for me. Wow. Forced change of environment, right? Almost yeah. like things are happening and like big things, your mother's passing. That's very traumatic, right? Mm-hmm. And your company wants you to move across multiple states right. um, and you got to move your family. So at that point, you know, you're having, again, you're having this decision almost as bifurcation where you have to say, do I go left? Do I go right? Yep. Well, what does left look like? I can kind of figure that out. How did you come to that decision? You know, it was, it was pretty easy when I, when I brought the, when, when I brought the information home to my wife and, and we kind of talked about it briefly, you know, I think within the first couple minutes, I think even before I got home that day, I, I knew that, okay, this is, this is my way out. This is kind of the divine intervention that's forcing me to do something different. And, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll fall with a cushion. So I'll, I'll have some time to think about this. I'm going to get a severance. So I have an opportunity here. I mean, I saw it as an opportunity. My, my dad was, was widowed and I didn't want to leave him. So I knew that I didn't want to want to move away. So I, I thought that, okay, well, this is an opportunity, but what, what, what do I want to do? And, and my first thought was, you know, I love sports. I, I want to get involved in, in some element of that. And I was, I'd been coaching for years at the time. I'd been involved in a few different organizations. And I thought that was a natural transition to do something like that. And so I, uh, I finally used my MBA skills and I wrote a business plan. I found a, a guy willing to be a partner. I started finding investors and it was, uh, and I was doing this all simultaneously while still working in Invesco. <laughs> Fortunately, I had four monitors. Uh, hopefully none of my bosses watch this later on, but I had four monitors. So one of the monitors was always angled to where no one could really see it. And I would have my business plan, my spreadsheets, and I'd be, I'd be fiddling with that during my you know, periods. I didn't have to be working, uh, you know, focused. So, uh, you know, in, it was, it was a grand plan. I, I will say I still, I still have, um, some blueprints around here somewhere in my office, uh, of, of what the conception, the, uh, what I conceptualized, what it looked like. And it was, a, it was a big sports complex that had, you know, training facility, softball fields, baseball fields, football fields, soccer fields. Uh, they, were, they were kind of popping up all over our area at that time. And I thought, man, that, that would be so much fun. And, and uh, then as I started putting the numbers together and started getting more people looking at it, more, uh, more solid um, investment guys who, who kind of had done this type of thing before, you know, my, my budget went from, you know, maybe a few hundred thousand uh, up to a few million, then up to about mm-hmm. 10 to 12 million, then to about 20 million. Uh-uh, I was like, man, and I was, I, I was the driver of this. The, the partner I had was about 15 years younger. He was a tennis coach and I, I knew he was just looking, looking to me to try to put all this together. And yeah. it was a stress, it was a stressful time when I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try to make this happen the best I can. And I actually left, uh, left Invesco uh, the day before spring break of 2014. And we went on a nice spring break trip and I came home. I'm like, all right, I got to make this happen. And within about three or four months, I realized, all right, this isn't going to happen. And, <laughs> and uh, 
and but just just the way I think the world the you know the, the world works and kind of brings brings opportunities to you when you least expect them. I I was talking to a friend of mine and he said, "Are you still looking to do that sports complex?" And I said, "Well, so I'm not sure if it's going to work. It's it's a it's a it's a whole lot larger than I thought it was. The scope just just got so big." He said. Well, you need to talk to uh, one of our other mutual friends. He said he he just invested in a in a small sports uh, uh, sports facility, and I said mm. really. And so I immediately, I mean, I picked, I left, I hung up the phone with him, called my other friend. He said, "Oh yeah, just I I got this done about two months ago. Uh, yeah, why don't you come up and take a look?" And that's wow. all it took. I, I went up there, took a look. I became an investor in that um, towards the end of 2014. And it just, it, it was something really cool. And I, I thought, okay, well, this is something I can, I can get involved in. But I also realized that it was not going to be the, meet my financial needs uh, long-term. I still had that cushion going, but I knew mm-hmm. I had to do something else as well. So uh, that, that will lead me to, to the next chapter. Yeah, no, that's that's a fascinating story and everything with Invesco and those that might not know, you were managing portfolios up into a hundred billion, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah, I was on so the, yeah, I was on the money market uh, side of things. Yeah, so you're you're dealing with a lot of money, a lot of moving parts, good with figures and numbers, obviously, in that regard of being able to juggle that. And then you're taking this adventure of starting. This is your first business, right? That you're cr- trying to create. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it ends up just skyrocketing to a 20 million plus budget. And you're like, I don't know about this for the first one. Right. Yeah. That's fascinating. And then where does it go from here? I know you're an investor at this point with the sports thing. And now we're moving into, you're a COO, chief operating officer. Correct. So that same guy who, who alerted me to the fact that our mutual friend had had invested in this sports facility, he also had a business and it was, it was staffing, payroll, HR, which I had no knowledge of, uh, mm-hmm. of how that industry worked. And so we would have dinner every now and again, and he would tell me how his business was just blowing up and doing great. And I thought, okay, well, I said, well, what, 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 are, what are you doing? And, he, and I told him, I said, I need a day job. And he said, well, let, and he, at first he offered me like a little part-time role, like, you know, hourly. And I was like, yeah, I'm not interested in that. But then a couple months later, he came back and said, "Well, if you really want to get involved, why don't you why don't you uh, why don't you be a sales guy for me? And I, I need I need someone to do this, and I'll pay you a salary plus commission." I was like, "Hey, I need a salary because I was kind of running out of my cushion." And so mm-hmm. I started doing that. And after a couple of days, he called me and said, "You know what? I really need someone in the office." And he said, "If, if you don't mind uh, not being a sales guy," I said, "I don't mind because I don't know how to be a sales guy." So. <laughs> I, I, I took that, the, the office job and, and I honestly, I created that position for myself. I I just, he didn't have a COO. He didn't have, he didn't have anything. It was so poorly organized and structured that Mm. I think that's why he was like, you know what, why don't you go poke your head around and see what you can do and see if you can organize things. And so that's what I ended up doing. I I tried to learn the business and, and learn what he was doing. And it, uh, it was definitely an an education of a lifetime what I, what, I, what I ended up learning. But at the start, you know, it was something exciting and new, and it, it allowed me to kind of stretch my comfort zone. and mm-hmm. And I had to <clears throat> I had to become a leader. I mean, pretty quickly the, the his 
his role, he was the owner of the company, my friend, but he was never there. He had already kind of checked out. He had been running the company for about four or five years by that point. And was, you know, as he was telling me, he was making a ton of money and he was taking trips and living lavishly. And he'd gotten a divorce, so he was back in the dating scene and I don't know what he was doing. So it's, uh, it, was, it was up to me to, to kind of spearhead some of, the, some of the, the initiatives and some of the direction that the company wanted to head. They, they, had, <laughs> they had so little, Brian, as far as transparency. I, I didn't know how much the company made. I didn't know how much the company charged. Oh, I didn't know the expenses. I didn't know anything because he wouldn't share any of that information. So oh, I just kind of, I'd kind of just figured out on my own and, and use whatever, you know, skills that I had, I had created up to that point to try to figure out and, and just start really paying attention to how things work and, and how the money side work. Cause I, I, you know, I told him, I said, I'm really good with money. I can, I can help you if, if you have, you know, extra cash flow to invest or, you know, if you want to look at you know, alternatives on, on what you can do with the money, but he never wanted to. Which was kind of a yellowish, reddish flag yeah, at yeah, the beginning, yeah, but yeah. I'll get I'll get into that later. <laughs> yeah, how are you feeling now that you're in this new position and you're again learning it? How many people are in the company? So how at the employees? time I got there, um, right at the beginning, kind of 2015, there were there were probably about a dozen workers, maybe maybe not quite that many, maybe ten. Um, and there was there was two or three sales guys, uh, a couple front front office people, and some payroll specialists, and mostly um, bilingual workers. And so I, I got to got to uh, practice my Spanish and uh, hone some skills that that I had I'd forgotten a, a bit. But it was you know such a small company, um, and when we were in a when I first started, we were in a temporary office space, which was essentially a broom closet and they were, he was, he was building out a, a, a 6,000 square foot location, but we had to wait, um, gosh, probably six months or so after I started eight months after I started before we, we moved into that location. So it was, you know, I didn't want to work in a broom closet. So I would kind of poke my head in, ask if I could help. And, uh, so I started, I started helping the payroll ladies. And so they would send me what they were working on and I would, I would, you know, amp it up a little bit in Excel or, or Word or whatever they were working on. I would, I, I was like, don't we, do we have a logo? Is, is that our logo? My God, I can do better than that. I said, do we have a website? And they said, yeah, here's the website. I looked at the website. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know anything about websites, but I know I can make something better than that. <laughs> so what, what was exciting for me is, uh, I, and this is all kind of coming back to me, I, I realized, well, if I can help out anywhere, maybe it can be there. So I, I started reading, watching videos, uh, taking some courses on website development and logo design. And I started just kind of working in that capacity. And you know, before you know it, I had a new website built. Um, I had new logos. I had new business cards made for everyone. So I was, I was doing those little things that I thought, okay, well, you know, certainly this, this will get us going in a, in a better direction at least. And it felt like I was making, you know, an impact in some capacity, even though I knew my, my skill set was really not being utilized, but I was like, well, I'll just, I'll have to get better at other things. And then maybe at some point I can, I can help on the financial side. Yeah. It sounds like you're almost getting to build a business mm-hmm. on somebody else's dime, 
which yeah. is kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, I, I got to, you know, my, my schedule was flexible. And, you know, the, the one good thing he did was, you know, he told me, and he told everyone this from the, from the outset, you know, is he didn't care how you got your job done, when you got your job done, just as long as you got your job done. So that to me is like, that's giving me, you know, kind of carte blanche. I, I have some flexibility. Mm-hmm. If I, you know, I've, I have ex- actually a computer at home, whereas in the temporary space, I, you know, I'd bring my laptop and, and I didn't have much, much uh, room to navigate through. So I worked at home quite a bit during those, that first year, honestly, before wow. we moved into the bigger location. And so, wow. I, you know, I, that's the first time I'd been at home you know, for an extended amount of time working. Yeah. And, and actually having an income. So it, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a good time. I thought, okay, this is, this is going to be good. We can build this into something really big and maybe expand and, you know, had, had all these ideas of course. And, uh, that, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't come to fruition. Yeah, no, that's that. And again, things happen for said reasons, right? And these, we get these outside forces that kind of change our trajectory. And now you've gotten this time, you're at home, you're doing this, and then you decide, I'm going to create an HR company, right? Of your own, co-founded an HR company. What, what, what made you take that risk and take that leap? And maybe those that are looking to do that same thing, how'd you kind of just get forced off of it? What was it? <laughs> so this is where the story gets very interesting, Brian. And I'm hoping no one has to go through these same things that I went through. But again, I think what I experienced, what I went through, it, it did just give me that that more more clarity into what I wanted to do. And I think after being at that company for you know a year or two, I was like, you know, I could probably do this better. But do I want to? I want to you know have that struggle and that risk. Do I want to take the leap of faith? Do I want to do this? You know, this is working out fine. I we can probably just grow this. And I, I don't have to have equity. I don't have to you know be an owner of this. But in the back of my mind, I was like, man, it would be nicer if I just had my own thing. Maybe if I learn as much as I can, maybe I can I can really you know parlay this into something of, of my own choosing and in my own direction. And so the. <laughs> The interesting things that transcended uh, from about year two to year four of this of this experience with a small company, uh, I finally got information on their finances, on their revenues, and but it was all paper. I was given paper like, oh, well, this is what he looks at, but we always throw it away. I was like, so you don't have a database of like mm. who you charge and how you charge? And, oh, no, we don't do any of that. I'm like, okay, well, oh. can, I, can I have those papers? So I, I literally spend about the next uh, – when I first got those papers, I got a collection of all of uh, 2016 or 17. I can't – now I can't remember the year that I got. But it was already late in the year, whatever year that was, like September or uh, October – but I, mm-hmm. I went back and I manually input all the numbers into a spreadsheet and I created some pivot tables and I started doing projections. I'm going, well, he's telling me he's making this much money, but I'm, I'm looking at these numbers and going, how is he doing that? Because I don't see that even if I'm, even if I'm putting the incorrect payroll tax numbers in or withholding taxes, I'm just, I'm not seeing it because all his revenue is really generated from uh, from payroll, he was a PEO. So all the clients he had were under his EIN. 
And so he was paying the payroll taxes and the withholding taxes for all these employees. It was, it was probably two to 3,000 employees. Oh my. And he was charging a percentage uh, on top of those payrolls. So the numbers can get pretty, pretty elevated pretty quickly when you, when you get more and more employees under it. And so I just I kept looking at it going, well, surely I'm just not seeing everything. Surely I'm, maybe he's subsidizing. Maybe he has other revenue streams coming in that I just don't know about. Surely something I'm just not aware of is going on. And so and I would ask him, I said, so are you, you paying all the taxes and everything? Oh, yeah, yeah. Everything's everything's fine. Everything's good. I'm like, OK. I said, I'm just not. Numbers just aren't adding up for me. So, oh, well, you know, it's complicated. I'm, I'm doing some stuff here on the side. And I'm like, so I'd known him for a long time. So I gave him the benefit of the doubt. And so in November of 2018, when he called me and he had me out to his palatial estate that he paid uh, cash for uh, to the tune of like eight or 900K, uh, I got out there and he sat me down and he handed me a piece of paper and I looked at it and it was the United States of America versus him. Oh gosh. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, uh, that doesn't look good. He said, no. no, he said, but it's, but it's only for a million dollars. And I offered to pay him back. I said, Oh, okay. Oh, so I didn't believe anything that he was spouting out at that point. So I at immediately, point, yeah. yeah, I immediately went home and I hired my own attorneys and I had them look up his case and they sent me a 25 page, uh, 25 pages worth of his case that um, illuminated to me that he had in excess of $20 million that, that he owed uh, the IRS. And, and so at that point I'm like, okay, I, I, I will need to. I, I will need to create some sort of exit plan. So that day, there was a there was another another guy that worked indirectly with me. He was on the on the insurance and employee benefits side, and and he and I got along great. He he was uh, I played golf with him a few times and met with him for lunch, and we just we got along really well. And I called him soon after leaving my friend's house, and he said, "I want you to know." Cause I couldn't, I couldn't even disclose everything. Cause I wasn't sure at the moment what was going on, but he said to me, I want you to know if you ever decide to walk away, I will partner with you in a new venture. And I was like, huh? Well, I hadn't even thought about that, but I think that would probably be exactly what I need to do. So uh, without drawing the story out any, any longer, uh, fast forward about another year, we had everything in place. We had, um, you know, business, business plan. We had uh, businesses legally formed wow. and we decided, you know what, we're just going to go for it. And, and that, you know, I, I tried to help sustain that company for as long as I could uh, with being as transparent as I could, because, you know, these workers, and by that time we were up to about 20 employees and I just felt so badly because none of these people did anything wrong. And I knew the ship was sinking. And, you know, he had enough reserves to keep it going for a while, but there were so many. And by, by that point, there were so many red flags and so many uh, just nefarious things that I could see that he was doing. And he was trying to pay some of his friends and you know, cohorts and all these people that weren't even working for the company that he was trying to you know fill their pockets. And it just became a very, uh, you know, a place I just never never thought I would be involved in. And, and to this day, he, he ended up going to prison. And 
he spent about 15 months in a federal prison in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And he got out, uh, I, I heard, he got out about a year and a half ago. Uh, but I've had absolutely no contact with him since uh, wow. since early on. Tom, what a story, man. It's, that I, is... Uh, I, I, uh, tell, I tell my friends I, I need to write. It's, it's a Netflix series for sure. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure if it can compete like with Ozarks with Ozark, a little yeah. bit. But. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, wow. not, not, not any murders, so that's a good thing. Yeah, not that, yeah that, that, those didn't come up. Thank no, goodness. No. All right. So now you're, you're starting this business with your co-founder. You get this with Stonebridge, right? Yes. Yep. And then th- what are you guys doing? So we, we decided we would take kind of the best elements of what, what we had learned. He, he was on the, like I said, the benefits and insurance side. And I had learned the, the payroll, HR, staffing side of things. So we're like, you know, what can we do to make an impact and, and make the best impact? So I, I told him, listen, I'm, I'm very happy, you know, not needing to compete with the ADPs or paychecks or insparities of the world. But let's focus on the small business guys. You know, I know those big guys have their hand in the small business and a lot of the small business, but but let's see if we can make a dent in that. And we had enough connections at the time to where I felt confident we could at least get a few clients on board when we started. And but I, I really wanted to kind of just focus in on on that small business community where I could you know help make an impact with with some small companies and, and people who are trying to navigate their way through and I figured since I had I had big business experience corporate experience and I had small business experience you know I might be able to you know help figure out you know some paths that these guys could take even above and beyond just the payroll and benefits stuff if if they needed to bounce other questions off me I thought that would be our differentiator you know that would be uh, I, I just wrote a wrote a post. I haven't I haven't put out there yet, but it's like it's like okay. Do you do you, you know if you go play golf and they offer you a caddy? Uh, do you take the guy who's you know he's a summer intern, he's nineteen years old, he's a political sci major, and he knows nothing about golf? But that's that's is that who you want to have caddy, or do you want Tiger Woods? And he knows everything about golf and he knows the best routes to take and best angles, best clubs to use. And you get him for the same price. So who are you going to choose? So I, I kind of see that, not that I'm trying to compare myself to Tiger Woods, but you know, I'm, I have enough business experience that I know for sure that I'm better than a 23-year-old ADP rep who doesn't know a whole lot about what's going on in the world. Obviously, they're trying their best, but you know, I'm, I'm offering the same type of service and I can go above and beyond that for small business guys. So that's, that was kind of our, our mantra of, of going into something where we knew we could make a difference, you know, ab- above what the, the norm would be for this industry. Yeah. Now you're in it. What are we at? Two plus years? Yeah. Just started year three. Um, well, actually I haven't quite hit year. February 15th was, I think our first official client in 2020. Wow. Um, so we started, you know, in, tw- in 2019, we, we didn't officially launch until January of 2020. And, and obviously, after, and then COVID happens, and COVID happened, <laughs> and literally that, you know, that week or two when we started going, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And <laughs> uh, we, were, we were scrambling to get this first big client on board and we managed to do it. And I was scared to death that they were going to shut down as soon as COVID hit. And fortunately, they they put some precautions in place and anyway so it worked out and then we started getting a couple smaller clients and 
um, it just it's it's kind of been it's been a slow roll. I mean, I'm not going to lie; it, it hasn't been as as quick as I had hoped. And uh, I, you know, I hired I hired some some contracts uh, guys to help out some sales people, and that didn't I didn't get any traction there. And and I, I get it. it's it's a tough sell when you're especially during a pandemic when you're going to businesses and going, hey, do you want to switch your payroll provider? Do you want to do some benefits? And people are like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm okay right now. We're, we're good. And so it's been, that's, that's kind of when I decided, okay, I need to look at this from a different perspective. I, I need to take helm and really do the, the things that, you know, maybe I'm not comfortable doing, but I, I want to do. And I'd never networked by that point. Um, in early 2020, I'd really never, never gone out and done anything. Been to, you know, I've been to conventions and stuff with my old company, but nothing to where I had to really, you know, shake hands, rub elbows, and and, and meet people. So I thought, well, once the pandemic hit, I I got to figure something out. So that's that's when I first really got on onto LinkedIn, and that that started kind of opening up my my awareness that hey, I can probably start making some inroads and maybe getting some people to recognize me or at least see what I'm doing, you know, it's going to take some time, but, but I think I have the, I have the knowledge. I have the, the, the patience with myself to, to learn this and see it as a long game and, and see that if I start doing something now, maybe that'll, that'll lead to, you know, some opportunities in the future for, for me and, and the business. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that people get hung up on with even starting any business and being an entrepreneur, being a leader and being an innovator is this overwhelming just drive of consistency, even amongst the driest of times and then adaptability, you need to be able to shift quickly, you need to be able to think on your toes and a lot of people, maybe now, you can even relate to how you felt when you were with Invesco a one time uh, and saying, look, there's a lot of going on, I really don't want to rock the boat too much. So I think now we're figuring out new ways of doing that. And through all of that and just figuring figuring yourself out and figuring out what's so most important, I see your content. I love your content. It always has that human element, right? Of where we're again seeing the person for their person, for who they are, their values, you share them. When did you start to see that as an important aspect of business? So great question. I you know, I think it was, it wasn't until probably last May or June when I started going, you know what, I, you know, I'm, I'm writing every day. I feel like I'm making some progress. I feel like I'm, I'm doing something, but I think some, some realization, you know, overtook me to where I started looking at, at some of the, the content that resonated with me the most that I wrote and that other people wrote. And I'm like, you know what, I, I relate more to the people that I kind of see more three-dimensionally and I I see more of who they are and what they're about and what their mission is and how they feel about it and what they think about it and and so I decided you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna start sharing more of me just so people because I want to I want it to be someone that people if they if they found me they would be able to see that you know there's there's certain values and, and core elements to me that that are trustworthy, that, that would make someone feel that they could reach out to me if they were going through a struggle or something like that. That's, that's kind of where my, I think my, my new mission in life kind of is directed towards is trying to make an impact for other people. 
and you know and businesses you know just people and people in general really because you know we're we're on this planet for a short period of time we're 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 all trying to do the best we can to to you know to make our lives as fulfilled as possible to to make our you know make our family situation good make it thriving you know live a live a you know profound life in whatever capacity that looks like for you and i decided you know what i'm i'm just going to start sharing more of me and more of what i'm thinking and you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a real polarizing guy. I'm not a real risk taker. I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm certainly not a, not someone who's going to create controversy. Um, I don't think, but I, I just, I just felt that if, if I were honest with myself and I, I put that out there, that would, that's almost, you know, exercising those demons I had when I was little of being too afraid to say anything. And now I, obviously I don't want to share too much, but I'm comfortable to the point where I can share enough to where it gives people a glimpse and, and more than a glimpse, it's more of a, you know, an understanding of kind of where I'm coming from and who I am and what I want to accomplish and, and how I want to accomplish it and, you know, what, what my main motivations are. And, you know, I, I think that comes across in my content. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not selling anything. I'm not, I'm not pushing anything. It, it's all genuine. It's all just trying to, Maybe there's one person out there that I can help. Maybe there's one person out there that needs to read that today. And, you know, honestly, that's good enough for me. And, you know, that's, I, I've had many people reach out, DM me just for a chat. You know, I, I have a coaching service, but that's not my main source of income. So I don't, I don't need that income. And I, you know, I know the side hustle and trying to create something on your own. That's, that's something I, I, I believe in. And I think it's great for the people who are able to achieve that. Um, and and I I do also want that, but I don't think it's it's you know the money part is not my motivator. It's the impact part that's my motivator. And I think when that that comes through, people see that and they you know whatever happens financially will happen just because of how I'm doing this and going about it. And it's you know, I have to, I think I have to have the right internal motivators uh, to do it correctly for for what my morals are, for what my mission is. And I, I think that, you know, it's, I, I love getting up every day and writing and, and reading other people's stuff and, and learning more about other people and seeing where I can help. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of my, uh, my new, my new office space. You know, I, I, I wake up every morning, I work from home, I'm alone, but I don't feel alone. And that's, that's in large part to LinkedIn. I mean, I you know, have my network of people and support group and friends and stuff like that. But, you know, the world is so small now. And, you know, you and I can talk, you know, three states away from each other in, instantaneously. I had a call with a guy from Iraq uh, this morning. So, I mean, the world is just so small that I know I can make an impact in people's lives. And so if I stay consistent, if I stay true to what my my heart is i know that i will continue to make an impact and hopefully grow uh you know my audience and in a way that's you know makes makes me feel like i'm doing something rather than just you know waiting waiting for the end to happen yeah i think that's really true for a lot of people and again anyone that might be wanting to be an entrepreneur want to be a leader want to be an innovator want to take some risks or build something of their own I think that needs to be in the forefront of their minds of how am I being human? How am I being transparent? How are they seeing my values? When they go to my page, when they go and see my LinkedIn posts or they see my content, is the human element there or does it feel like a cold call every single time? 
that's uh, I think that's uh, where we're at. And I, I think if there, if we can put COVID in any type of positive light, it could be through the catalyst of that, that we started to really see, like you said, how small this planet is, how quickly it can overcome the entire planet can be overcame by a pandemic. And that kind of rocked. It was knocking on our front doors very fast. And now we're having to adapt quickly with that. And I think it's causing a lot of people to figure that out, figure out who they are. Well, what values do other businesses bring to me that's offered? We're getting to the tail end of the show. And I always enjoy throwing a couple questions out there to my guests. Uh, One of them is if you had a chance to tell any teenager or young person now, right in this very moment, some piece of advice, what would it be? I would would tell someone, uh, and it's funny, I was was talking to not, not quite a teenager, but a 20 something year old this morning. And, you know, I, I, I tell young people, you know, find, you know, find, find your voice early. Don't, don't be afraid of listening to what your heart's trying to tell you because it's telling you something for a reason. And don't be afraid of what, you know, people think about you, you know, use, use your time in your youth to really discover, really be adventurous, really, really find different avenues, different outlets, you know, be, you know, be a risk taker early on, because the more, the more you get accustomed to doing stuff like that, the easier it will be as you get older. Mm -hmm. No, it's really powerful. Again, getting back into who you are and finding that out. That takes work, but it always pays out tenfold. Uh, Next question is again, thinking about things that potentially excite you in the future. What are they and where do you kind of see yourself going from here? So I, you know, I still see myself doing a, a lot of the same things I'm doing right now. It's, it's exciting enough to me in this, in this moment still to where I see lots of opportunities. I mean, we're, we're really, I think, uh, evolving with my company and, and it's you know, still just the two of us, but I, I know that as we grow, we'll, we'll probably want to expand and hire some, some people. And that's exciting to me. I, you know, I'd love to have some people that I could be leaders to and, and mentor and, and kind of see what we could grow here. And at the sum, you know, simultaneously, I want to see where, where my coaching uh, can go or, you know, building a course or writing a book. Um, those are all things that I have in my mind that I want to do. And I'm, I'm being patient with it. I, I, I see a lot of people thinking, oh, I, I need to get on LinkedIn and make some money. I need, to, I need to build a course right now and write a book right now and do all these things. I'm like, you know, I'm in, maybe some people do need to do that because they need to, you know, make, make money. And, you know, I'm, I'm lucky where I don't have to do that, but I, I think that's something I would, I would enjoy doing just for the, the process of it, just learning, learning how to do something and, and learning that I could do something like that. You know, writing a book has been something I've been talking to my wife about for the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, I, but I, I've just never like, had to do the, it already. I, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, well, I don't really have the perfect idea. I've, I've written a few, you know, a few things, you know, 15, 20 years ago, but I'm like, that's, that doesn't even make any sense anymore. So those are some of the things I, I think in the, in the future I, I would like to do. And, uh, I, I just, I think I will probably figure out some other things in, in the ensuing years that I, I would want to do. I, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there, there's lots of things I, I think that I, mm-hmm. I can, I can get excited about. That's awesome. Yeah. I think it's, again, it's what I've noticed from all the guests that I've had on the show, they always have this immense curiosity and this desire to learn and continue onward. And I think that's 
down to the core of humans, right? We need right. to always expand. We need to always stay curious. We need to go out there and explore. So Tom, it's great to have you on the show. I loved it. It's been a great uh, conversation and thanks so much. Uh, thanks, Brian. I really enjoyed it. And that's this episode of The Art of Mindset with your host, me, Brian LeSage. I want to ask if you're looking for more content from Tom to head over to his website, stonebridgehr.com, where you'll find solutions for entrepreneurs, businesses, and also solo entrepreneurs looking to offload payroll or even benefits. And lastly, please like and subscribe to this show. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And as always, stay curious. Keep expanding.